welcome to the second episode of Gamers on the Go. I'm your host, Chase Kennedy. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the Legend of Zelda Oracle series for the Game Boy Color. And my guest today is Caitlin Ward. Hello. Caitlin is a native Oklahoman, and uh, we will not hold that against her. But uh, but she does know her Zelda games. So I brought her in to talk about this uh, this great little series for the Game Boy Color, um, Zelda Oracle of Seasons and Zelda Oracle of Ages. Uh, these games came out near the end of the Game Boy Color's lifespan. Uh, in 2001, the Game Boy Advance actually was only a couple months away at that point. And it's kind of it's kind of cool. Um, these games started a lot earlier as like um, this developer called Flagship, who's a part of Capcom, their subsidiary. Um, they are actually dissolved into Capcom um, in 2007. But before then, they uh, they wanted to make these games for for Game Boy Color. They they went to Nintendo specifically and talked to Shigeru Miyamoto and said we'd really like to remake the very first Legend of Zelda on a Game Boy Color. And Miyamoto said, uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun to me. And, uh, then Flagship, uh, headed by this guy named, uh, Yo, uh, Yoshiki Okamoto, he, uh, he basically told Miyamoto, you know, I can just make this game myself and change a couple characters and the way things look, and pretty much Nintendo won't make any money on it. How do you feel about that? And Nintendo's like, oh... We like money. <laughs> you you should... How about this? So they came up with this deal that uh, Flagship would actually develop six Game Boy games featuring Zelda. And the first one would be that, that remake that they wanted to do. Uh, and then depending on how well that did, they might remake the second Legend of Zelda, Link, uh, The Adventures of Link. And then they could go and ma- start making their own original Zelda games. So when they started making this, they found that it was really, really hard to make the original Legend of Zelda for the Game Boy Color. The um, The big problem was that the Game Boy Color screen is slightly more narrow than a 4x3 television screen. So they weren't actually... They, they had to remake all of the maps. Because when they were making this and figuring it out, like they had to cut off a little bit. So when people went into a dungeon, they wouldn't see the side walls because you have to scroll a little bit to the left or right to see the sides of the walls. And you wouldn't, you'd miss, like, some of those places where you'd have to, like, lay a bomb to explode a wall or see a clue that might help you out in somewhere else in the dungeon. So after remaking all this stuff and it not really getting anywhere, they actually pretty much wasted a full year of development doing nothing, um, or basically nothing. They went back to Shigeru Miyamoto and was like, this this isn't really working, we're really sorry about this. Uh, the team kind of just wants to scrap this and just make a new Zelda game. And Shigeru Miyamoto was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine with me. Um, I'm sure he was ecstatic because that's what he wanted in the first place. <laughs> uh, but he, he had the suggestion, why don't you make three games and make this trilogy? Uh, with Zelda, you have this Triforce, three games, each piece of the Triforce can be in a game. That sounds cool, right? They're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome, let's do that. So they created the Triforce trilogy, or at least the idea of the Triforce trilogy. Each each game was supposed to kind of um, have a specific theme that went along with it. Uh, the first one that they really... Um, they took most of that stuff they had from that remake build that they were trying to do, and they modified that a little bit, and that became uh, what, what ended up being Oracle of Seasons. But at that point, um, since this was the Triforce um, trilogy, they called that... Uh, let me find that here. 
Um, so they called that one The Legend of Zelda and the Mystical Seed of Power. And they kind of had this idea that um, these... Um, that because because the Triforce is split up into power, courage, and wisdom for the for the different people that they have for that Zelda, Link, and Ganon slash Ganondorf, that's how that would be split up. So for power, they had the idea that the mechanic would be seasons. You could change the seasons to solve puzzles that way. In Mystical Seed of Wisdom, they had this idea of doing something with colors um, because they had the they had the technology for the Game Boy Color um, that you could actually do this kind of stuff. Um, so that was going to focus on colors. And then for uh, Mystical Seed of Courage, the third game, that was going to focus on time of day, a morning, noon, and, and night kind of idea. So as they were making these... They, they had this really cool idea to interconnect them, and you could play them in any order, and when you played them, we, when you played one, you'd be able to connect it to a second game, and things would change, and then you'd be able to connect that to the third game, and more things would change, and you'd be able to progress in all of them, and at the final thing, then you'd have all three pieces, and something would probably happen. But that kind of ended up being a little too ambitious, and they scaled back a little bit to just two games. And actually, Mystical Seed of Courage is the one that kind of got cut, but all the stuff they worked on that, they kind of then brought into Mystical Seed of Wisdom, which became Oracle of Ages, and that's how Oracle of Ages now has its time mechanic, um, although they do, although Oracle of Ages is present and past instead of the uh, morning, noon, and night thing system that they had. Uh, basically, these games were really... It's kind of cool to see how these games went from being an original Zelda remake to these two completely separate games that have nothing really to do with Hyrule and things like that, as is kind of Nintendo's uh, Nintendo's way of doing things when they get to a portable platform. Um, for the last show, our first episode, we talked about Super Mario Land, where they took Mario out of the Mushroom Kingdom and into this new place, Sarasa Land, and then they have Princess Daisy and no Bowser, and all these things are slightly different, but it's still a Mario game. In the same way, these Zelda games are similar in that um, Oracle of Seasons takes place in this um, in this place called Holodrum, and then Oracle of Ages takes place in Labrina. Uh, anyway, I've talked a long time uh, because I'm just really interested in that development part. But now let's get into the actual games uh, of which we have both played. So... Caitlin, let me just kind of ask you, ask you right on, off the bat here, what, what's your thought on the two, on the two games? Like, which one maybe do you like a little bit more? Which game, like, just talk a little to the games. Well, I guess I, I actually went back and played Seasons, um, before we did this podcast, because I didn't like Seasons, so I thought I would go ahead and get it out of the way, but, um, I probably shouldn't have done that, because I really loved Ages. I, I think the consensus is that it is more of the the puzzle-based of the two. Um, there's still some pretty basic side-scrolling Zelda sort of mechanics, I guess. But um, there's much more. There's a lot less hack-and-slash to get to the end of the dungeons and acquire the items. And um, the story is a little bit more... It's a little richer, and it just kind of... the Even the bosses in Ages are tied into the story, some of them. Um, so that one, to me, is a little bit better. It's a little more of a, a Zelda game with a feel to it. Seasons isn't bad, though. I really like the... <laughs> it's not my favorite, but it's um, still... It holds its own against ages, even though it has some differences. But I would say that I would prefer 
in that okay. regard. <laughs> and, and that's kind of interesting. I actually prefer Seasons. Um, anybody who knows me knows that, as despite being a big Zelda fan, I'm really bad at actually finishing any of these games. And in fact, the only Zelda game I've actually ever beaten has been Oracle of Seasons. Uh, when I was playing it, uh, it's kind of it's also kind of interesting to note that because Seasons came out of that original build of um, of the remake of the first Legend of Zelda, there are a lot of things in that game that are very that are very uh, you can they have a really big connection to that first Legend of Zelda game, mainly the bosses. Like most of the bosses are are things that you see in more traditional Zelda games. The first one you fight is Aquamentus, who's that big dragon unicorn looking thing, um, and he's straight out of the first first dungeon in Legend of Zelda. And so I I really liked that one. I liked the seasons mechanic more than the the time travel mechanic as well, just because I've. I think it's actually partly because of Zelda. I really don't like time travel because I've I've never found it to be fun, and I usually just get confused with something and I get bored or frustrated, and then I stop playing it, which is probably the reason why I've not I finished not, yeah. not finished many Zelda games. Um, but I thought the seasons mechanic was really cool because I I could get a grasp on it a little better. I I understood that oh I can freeze over this lake and then I can just walk across it. Or that spring brings those flowers that will shoot you up higher over ledges. And and when I saw those things, it kind of gave me... Um, you know when you play a game like Metroid or something and you can see, oh, there's a door there, I just can't get through it right now. I had more of that feeling of a, oh, I'll remember that for next time and can come back. But when you're playing through something with time travel, you get little hints of that. Like you're talking to somebody and they go, oh, I'm so sad. If only I had done something in the past. And you go, oh, well... That's, that's probably a cue, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like the cues are, they weren't obvious enough for me. Maybe that's just because I'm really bad at playing games, but I, I enjoyed Seasons more because I could just go through and see, oh, right, uh, I can make that tree, uh, that deciduous tree will lose all its leaves in the in the uh, winter, so I can just walk right by that. That makes more sense. Um, and I also just really liked the Rod of Seasons. I thought that was a really cool item, and it was one that you could use outside of the system to just kind of bash something away but not quite kill it. Um, whereas the the harp, the harp of Ages that you get in Oracle of Ages really has only one feature outside of the time travel, and that's to kill those stupid bunny rabbits mm-hmm. that don't like sound. Um, I forgot what they're called, like poles, voices, or something like that. Interest, interesting note, because I just like trivia like that. Um, those those uh, creatures actually started out in the original Legend of Zelda game and for the Famicom system in Japan, they Famicom was slightly different than an actual NES. They had a way of having a microphone on it. So in the manuals for those, it talked about how Poles voices don't like loud noises. So you could scream into the microphone. So you could scream into the microphone yeah. in Japan, and they would die. They didn't have that in in um, in the Zelda that we got in the U.S., but they still had that little tribute kind of in the in the manual saying that they don't like loud noises. And so they were just unkillable in the in the first Legend of Zelda, but in in these subsequent games, when you can actually play sounds, they will they'll die after that. So I think that's just kind of a cool little little trivia question there. Um, but let's kind of go into into more of the mechanics and features of these. We we talked about how Seasons is more of like the action oriented game, and uh, Ages is more of the puzzle stuff. Um, I found that that there's actually 
I mean, I guess I kind of touched on this a little bit before, but Seasons feels, especially more in the bosses and dungeons, that it's more traditional uh, as far as uh, as far as Zelda goes, because you have like these bosses that you've seen before, and a lot of the items that you get are are very very similar to items that you've gotten before. But I feel like Ages they try a couple of new things in there when it comes to comes to things like combat and those kind of things. But when it comes to the overworld, that feels much more like traditional Zelda because you actually go see the Gorons, you actually go see the Zoras, you see Deku Scrubs. And a couple of those things are in Seasons as well, but it feels much more traditional in that sense. Like, you'll go and you'll talk to the Zoras and you'll talk to King Zora and he'll go, he'll ask you to go into Jabu Jabu's belly, which is something that you do in other Zelda games as well. Um, although that's a dungeon, so that kind of defeats my previous point, and that <laughs> kills everything, of course. But um, let's just talk more about the mechanics um, and and things like that. So what... When you're playing, you said you like Ages more. Uh, why can you be a little more specific on on why you like that more, other than just kind of like the more puzzle over more action? Mm-hmm. Like what? What do you mean? Why do I like it more? Well, like uh, let's see. They're they're two completely different stories. Mm-hmm, yes. Do you? What do you find? What do you find in the story of Ages that attracts you more than than the story of Seasons? I guess I just liked the tie-in of a lot of the. Um, um, the characters, I'm trying to think of, like, a specific way to say this. Where I feel like in, in Seasons, there's some very loose mention of some past characters. Um, but in but in Ages, maybe there's more of a tie-in to some of the um, actual battles that you're doing. I guess I don't know how to say that in a very specific way. That's <laughs> what you just asked. But um, I don't know. I guess I just like that the mechanics of the game are more traditionally Zelda in that you have side quests that you do that actually affect the actual outcome of the original quests that you're after. Whereas you can do some of the side quests, if I remember correctly, in Seasons, um, naming, uh, I think his name's Blippin. Blippin, Blossom, Blippin and Blossom, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas in Ages that has an effect on, you know, the story a little bit. He's kind of, he's there, and mm-hmm. he changes along with the path of time, whereas in Seasons he's a baby. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the there's that that added part of the Zelda story where you have all these other characters that come in and kind of like I said make the game a little bit more mature, which I think is part of the mechanics. And like I also it's in both games. I really like the side scrolling Zelda. I don't um it's a lot less complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what you're getting into with both of the games. There's um there's the map with the um I think it's like a fourteen by fourteen map and mm-hmm. you you know exactly where you're going, and you know exactly where you haven't been yet, and you know the path of the game, you know where you're supposed to be going. So in that way, we really like that mechanic of the handheld side-scrolling Zelda and the NES versions, too. Um, but, yeah, I guess I like that. <laughs> sure. No, I, I agree completely. That having that, I've always enjoyed top-down Zeldas more than, than the 3D ones, just because of that same reason, that you, you actually can track your progress a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And you're not just running around big expansions of land and not really knowing where you're going. There's each each little screen that you get is a single spot on the map, and you're able to kind of like, okay, here's the puzzle of this area, and then you can see like, okay, now I now I know which places I can get to better that way. Um, you mentioned Bippin and Blossom's son. 
And now neither of us have actually played through a linked game, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad because that's how you get a lot of the extra story out of out of these two games. When you beat one game, uh, and it doesn't matter which order you play them in, when you beat one game, you'll get a password that you can then take to um, take to the next game. And when you put that in, it will remember everything that you did in the game before. So mm-hmm. when you name Bip- Bippin and Blossom's son in one game, in, when you play the next game, you'll see even more progression of how he how he continues to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll also be able to get uh, lots of lots of cool extra features that passwords that you can then bring back to the first game that you played. And get really cool items like the mirror shield or the bigger on sword or even the master sword, um, and and there's even some extra story in there. If you go, if you play through ages first, when you meet Queen Ambi, and she talks about like her lost her lost love, when you play through seasons, I well when you play through ages, I'm I'm a little fuzzy on it. Do you meet the pirate captain in ages? If I remember correctly, do you like I said I played seasons as well yeah. most recently, but if I remember correctly, yes, you do. I believe you meet the pirate captain. You find out he's the one who who Queen Ambie loves. Who's mm-hmm. he's been? She's been waiting for the whole time. That's the reason she's making the Black Tower in the first place, is so that he has that pirate captain has a way of like coming back home to find her. Um, but when you play seasons after linking from ages, you'll see her at another spot in, in Holodrum and she and the captain will have gotten together mm-hmm. and it's, it's just kind of a little wink and a nod of, Hey, remember you played that other game and that's totally what happened. And here are some other things. Uh, and there are lots of, lots of little things. Uh, Rosa, the subrosion that you meet with the, with the little bow mm-hmm. in seasons, if you bring her, if you play ages after seasons and link them together, she'll meet you again and help you out in, in some parts. And He's you'll also be having to chase her. <laughs> exactly. Oh God, that was a pain in the ass playing that part. Um, but then you'll also, when you go up to the Gorons and, and play that dancing mini game, all dancing mini games in Zelda suck in my opinion. Um, but the Subrosians, uh, who also had a dancing mini game will be there to, Hey, we just went to went to learn how to dance from the Gorons because they know how to do it better than us. And like, I'm pretty sure both the dancing games were the exact same, and they're <laughs> equally terrible. But okay, if, if you say so. Uh, so there's lots of lots of that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, specific bosses or dungeons that that we might have enjoyed or, or really hated. Is there anything that you have like, a very strong opinion about either way? My. Favorite mini boss, just in general overview. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I already told you this, but uh, Vire is my favorite from the Mermaid Cave, and part of the reason for that, um, and I think I've heard a lot of other people agree with this, is that he has. I mean, when you go to fight a lot of the bosses, not all of them, but a lot of them, they're they're just bosses. They're there. You defeat them and you move on. Mm-hmm. Whereas he actually is part of the story. He's actually connected to Ganon. He has a personality and he plays a role in the story. So I really like that. I'm really happy with the story. <laughs> if you haven't already figured it out. Um, and so, um, but yeah, I, I, that was probably my favorite one. I It's a water level so not everyone likes that. But um, the payoff of having a boss with a, some gusto to his backstory is actually kind of interesting to me. Sure. So. Um, when I'm thinking, playing through mine, I tried to make some, tried to make some notes when I was playing through. Um, yeah, I really don't like water puzzles, so Mermaid Dungeon, I, I didn't like, and that one also, because that's in Ages, 
I think that's the only dungeon to have like a past version and a present version, and you have to actually use the time mechanic in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. And that that just probably is a little too a little too complex for me. Uh, I preferred a lot more of the seasons dungeons. I think my favorite boss is actually, uh, in fact, my favorite um, my favorite dungeon overall is the Snake Remains. It's actually the mm-hmm. second second dungeon you face in in seasons. So it's pretty early. Again, not that very hard. Not not very hard, and even I can read it. But uh, but I love those two bosses. First, you face Facade, who just reminds me of Nick Jr. And it's like I'm throwing bombs at Face <laughs> as he's telling me like Rugrats is on next. I'm like, shut up, Face, and I just throw bombs, and he explodes. Uh, so I love Facade, and then the I, that's the this is the dungeon where you get the power bracelet, and you face Dodongo at the at the end. And that's kind of a classic Zelda boss, and you basically know what to do. You feed him a bomb, he kind of explodes inside, mm-hmm. and then is stunned, and then you can throw him on spikes. Um, so it was just, it was a great, it was a great boss encounter where I, where I knew exactly what to do, and I got a little nostalgic on, oh, I know, I know that guy, and I know how to beat him, and it was just kind of a fun little, little romp of something that's like, it's that nostalgia of, yeah, this is, this is what I like about classic Zelda games. Um, things that I, things that I didn't like, I really didn't like the Unicorn Cave, um, in, in Seasons. You, uh, that's where you get the magnetic gloves, which are my least favorite item in the history of Zelda. Yeah, not a fan either. (laughs) Just, it has so many different uses where you have to, like, you, you have to use the polarity on the, on the big, uh, north balls. Mm -hmm. Then you have to, like, do puzzles with that. But then the worst parts are when you have to use them to like connect to the south side um twirling magnet whatever things and they bring them back in later in some later dungeons uh specifically uh, the last the last one the sword and shield maze sword and shield maze if i'm correct where you're just over this complete bottomless pit and you have to you have to hang on to them but then you have to reverse polarity and then you have to catch on another one before you fall in the pit and that is terrible. Well, it's incredibly complicated. I mean, really, not necessary. <laughs> There's not really any reason to have an item that you effectively cannot use without failing. It's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just not... I really hate... I think bottomless pits are my least favorite part of Zelda, uh, and, and that item just loves them. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I like, I love items like the rock's feather where I'm able to just, oh, I don't care about pits anymore because I can get over them. But when, when you get a little deeper into that season, in, in ages, you just get the rock's feather and you're done. Mm-hmm. And I think the hardest thing is that you then get the Pegasus seeds and you have to like time it a little bit to jump over two spaces of pits. But in seasons, they they make it just that little extra bit tougher when they give you the cape, and then you have to fly over over these large pits like you would with one of the animal companions, which mm-hmm. we will talk about a little bit later. But uh, that just it is more it's more bottomless pits, and I always hate those because I'm so terrible at it. Um, I think something that absolutely needs to be mentioned is that both of these games take heavy uh, heavy inspiration from a previous Zelda game on Game Boy. Link's Awakening. Uh, they also made a DX version for Game Boy Color uh, a little bit later, and that one features an extra dungeon that you can uh, that has a color theme to it, um, which is my, maybe how they got an idea for 
for what they were doing with um, that Zelda game that never ha- the Zelda Oracle game that never really happened, where they had a color theme going on. But um, the way these games play is is almost exactly like it. The gameplay is is pretty spot on. You these are these are some of the only Zelda games where you can uh, play without using a sword for for whatever part of the game you you choose. Uh, as you can you have two spaces in your inventory, one set to the B button, one set to the A button, and you can switch those out no matter what. So you can have sword and shield or your power bracelet and your rocks feather, um, and you don't actually need to have a sword on you the entire time, which which is kind of scary when you're facing up enemies and you don't necessarily have a sword on you ready to ready to use. But it it downplays the sword, which I think is kind of cool and makes the combat a little a little richer. I think when you can say, "Oh, I'm just going to use the boomerang to get through these guys, and I have my rocks feather, so I can jump over these pits. I don't even need to worry about fighting them." But I feel like when you have a sword on you the entire time, like uh, like in something like Ocarina of Time, where the sword is always on a single button, when I see an enemy there, it's almost more of a conscious decision of, "Well, I've got a or an unconscious decision." Of, well, I, I have a sword, there's an enemy there, I have to kill it. But when you're playing these games, it's like, ah, well, I don't have a sword equipped right now, so let's just boomerang it and then go, or, or something like that. And and it's made me really enjoy these games the most, and I think that's the reason I have I actually beat Oracle of Seasons, is because is, is a part of that reason as well. Um, so let's get into those animal companions that we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, that we just kind of touched on. So there are three animals that you can... Um, help and then we'll like have have utilize. as friends yeah <laughs> utilize later um, but the three animals are Moosh who's a big flying bear Dimitri who is a um, I guess he's a Dodongo yeah, yeah. Uh, he looks like a Triceratops uh, who swims and then Ricky who is a boxing kangaroo which is kind of cliched but uh, he actually ends up being the best one I think uh, wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, I I love these are my this is my favorite part. I loved all the animal companions and because um, one of when I started playing some of the consoles all the games when I was younger, Pono was my favorite part. I mean, you, you have a horse, you can jump things, you can use her in some of the mini games. I mean, she's a useful a useful animal companion, and that's kind of what these are too. I mean, yes, there's more of an acquisition here where you actually have to go and get some of the things or actually do some battling to acquire some of the things. But yeah, they're, for the most part, very useful. And and in each game, you'll at least meet the animals once um, and go through a slight, uh, a small, not not so much mini-game, but you'll go through a small mission of, of whatever these animals are useful for. So in, like, in Ages, for, for example, when you get caught on Crescent Island and you have no way of getting back because your raft is destroyed, you'll find uh, Dimitri, the, the Dodongo who swims, and he'll be... Uh, he's he's getting punished by, by some of these toke things that, mm-hmm. that live on that island, and you'll like get them to leave, and he'll say, oh, thanks, I'll offer you a ride now, I guess, since, since you helped me out, and it's a way of swimming back to the mainland. Um, and that's basically it. And then he's like, oh, well, thanks a lot, I'll talk to you later. And it's very possible that you'll never see him ever again. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, but with the other two, uh, Moosh, um, Moosh's ability is that he can float a little bit, so he has a lot of pit areas that you can, uh, can play through, which makes Moosh one of my least favorite characters, just because I know that when I get Moosh, 
I'm going to be doing a lot of bottomless pit stuff, mm -hmm. which is just terrible. That you may not even succeed at. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm so bad at those. Uh, but I think Moosh is kind of funny, where he's just kind of this half Eeyore, half piglet kind of creature that he's always sad, but then he's always scared of scared as hell of anything. He's like a blue totoro. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, yeah. That's I usually see what that. I thought of. Um, and and even you meet him in ages. You meet him in a graveyard, and he just pretty much goes apeshit because that's his. That has to be his least favorite spot ever. Hmm. Um, and Ricky, Ricky, unlike the other two, it seems like he actually holds his own. And and isn't just a big whiny baby. Uh, the only thing is that he's missing his gloves either, in either game. In one, in ages you have to dig them up, and in seasons you actually have to play. Isn't there that boxing mini game that you mm -hmm. kind of play? Yeah. That was that was one of the only fun mini games I ever played in a, in one of these Zelda games. Um, well, and that's why Ricky was one of my favorite ones. Is um, whereas the other two, Dimitri and Mushu, kind of. Um, encounter them and then utilize them when it's over, whereas Ricky, you have to, um, there's, I guess, work involved, maybe, where you actually have to go and help him. He's a companion. He's not, you know, move to you. Just kind of, like, <laughs> run into them and they say, well, I'll help you, you know, and then I guess I'll help you some more. <laughs> and he's also probably the most useful. I mean, he, you can... Use him to do. A, I don't want to say. I don't want to pigeonhole Mushin Dimitri, but um, he's he works with both games. He's um, he's he works in battle, I guess, because you know you can kind of charge up his, mm -hmm. his little punching um, apparatus, and then um, he also helps you move throughout the map. Whereas I guess the other two do it too, but to me they're not as useful. So certainly, uh, I, each each of the animals has their own attack. Uh, Dimitri has a little bite thing that he can do that doesn't really have much range, and Moosh can do this flying butt stomp kind of thing like a Yoshi, which also isn't really that helpful because a lot of enemies will move away by the time mm -hmm. that you've charged that up. But Ricky really is the most helpful in that he actually makes Link faster, and that he can get up those ledges that you see a lot more than you see the big the big long pits that you need Moosh for, or any sort of waterfall that. Dimitri could go up, but you don't really face waterfalls all that much. Um, so Ricky actually helps you a lot, and that that kind of gale seed punch that he gives you, uh, that he allows that he allows you to do, is really helpful. Especially not just killing enemies, but on clearing out um, clearing out patches of grass too, where you can then like pick up all those rupees that come out of those. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I like Ricky a lot too. Um, and there are certain conditions that you can meet to try to get one of the animals over another one, uh, but I think in ages you're pretty much supposed to get Moosh, and I think in seasons you're pretty much supposed to get Ricky, unless you change the way some things are happening. There's a way of getting, like, a, a flute earlier. Like, one of, one of the companions will give you a flute, saying, hey, yeah, you can just call me back anytime you need me, but if you find a flute out of a, out of a shop earlier then you, you'll be able to get um, one of the other animal companions. But you only get one, and that's one of the things, when you link a game, it will also remember which animal you had, and you can keep that animal for that, for that second game as well. Um, let's talk about equipment. Um, each, game, each game features the same basic tools. You, you, I mean, you get your wooden sword that you can then up, uh, upgrade through the trading game stuff that you can do to the noble sword, um, which functions a lot like 
any other Zelda sword where if you're at full health, you can shoot a beam out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you also get a shield that can then be turned into an iron shield, um, which uh, just doesn't get destroyed by like lights. I believe so, yes. I, I think that's the case. If, if not, it's just a better shield. Um, and then you'll also get, um, you'll get a power bracelet in both of them that lets you pick up big rocks. Uh, you'll get rocks feather, which helps you jump over pits. Um, and both of them have a boomerang if I'm, if I'm not, yeah, I think both of them have a boomerang, but in some, in in each game, they also have their own, uh, unique equipment, um, that you don't get in the other one, or you'll be able to. Uh, level up one piece of equipment more than you would be able to in another game. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, um, in Ages, you actually get a, a second power bracelet or a leveled up power bracelet called the Power Glove, which totally out of Nintendo that way uh, with the with a little reference. <laughs> but the Power Glove allows you to carry bigger things or, or do different things with. Uh, I think you actually get to walk around with like a big rock or something like that. Yeah. With the Power Glove, um, and. Seasons has um, Rock's Cape, which is an upgrade to the feather that allows you to fly over bigger distances uh, in kind of like a moosh-style fashion. Um, so is there, out of playing Ages and Seasons, what what kind of equipment was, was your favorite at least, or what one do you find that you used a lot, or is there anything that you have a thought on? Well, since we, we sort of discussed this before the podcast, and I think I'm going to have to agree with you that the Switch Hook is probably my favorite one. I mean, how useful is that, that you can have an item that you... I mean, it's like the um, um, the hook shot, basically, mm-hmm. but instead of just hooking yourself across a large whole series of holes or mm-hmm. something, you can just switch yourself. You can just take the place of whatever, you know, wherever the hook is. I mean, that's completely useful. Yeah, they had those giant diamond blocks in, in Ages where you can switch with those to get a, across chasms. Uh, and, yeah, the switch, hook, the switch Hook is awesome, and they do... They, it's really useful for some boss battles, and, and it makes for some of the most fun boss battles in either of the games um, because you're able to just... Um, you get, um, like, a, a squid... Uh, the squid that you fight in Jabba Jabba's belly, mm-hmm. you're, you switch with him to make him hit himself with his own uh, projectiles. And he kind of has this slight Ikaruga style of he can only be hurt by the opposite color, or same color, opposite color, I don't remember which one. But he gets hurt by a certain color of projectile when he's a certain color. And so when you switch hook with him, he changes colors and he gets hit by the by the other thing and, and he gets hurt. And that's just that's just a really fun concept for me. And then it's also really useful outside of outside of dungeons and boss battles in that it helps you get through those chasms, but then you can also just use them on enemies to switch places with them, and it's really helpful to get past past these places quickly. And it levels up to a to a second level switch hook in ages where you can then like go even farther distances. Mm-hmm. And hook shots have always been like one of my favorite items in in Zelda. So to have like an upgraded hook shot for one of these games, I think is just amazing. Um, I, I also like in Ages, in Ages I think has just the best equipment overall. Uh, I really like the cane of Samaria. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just, it's, it's this little red cane that makes a single block appear and then you can move that block and it's, it, it's, it's mainly for puzzles, but I just think it's a, it's a fun little item and something that when you, um, play, 
in the kind of side-scrolly levels that happen in occasionally in some of these games, um, that when you use that to make a block, you can then combine it with Rock's Feather to jump over some stuff, and you can... Uh, it, it almost feels like cheating, even though they've set the game specifically to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just like, yeah, I can just make a block wherever I want. Like, that has to break the game, right? Well, Nintendo kind of... Or Capcom really thought about that, but... Uh, it still it still feels like you're breaking the game, which makes it really fun. Well, and of course we have to talk about seeds. I mean, that's seeds are seeds are a big part of the game. There are four different kinds of seeds. I believe so. There's, There's mystery seeds, scale seeds, uh, Pegasus seeds, and seeds. Okay, yeah. Oh, ember seeds. Five. Okay, five five kinds of seeds, um, and each game deals deals with them in their own way. Each game you'll get a seed bag where you can just kind of toss them on the ground, and each of the seeds does does different things, and we'll get to what they do in a second. But the uh, but then each game has their its own way of, like, shooting a seed one way or another. Uh, in Ages, you actually get a seed shooter that, that's just like a little gun that you can aim in, um, in um, diagonal directions as well, which is really helpful, and you have to bank it off angles to, mm-hmm. to solve a lot of puzzles or to, or to fight bosses with. But uh, the in seasons you get a uh, slingshot, that, then you can shoot them. Uh, but I believe the slingshot only works in the uh, cardinal directions of mm-hmm. north, south, east, and west. Uh, but the, you do get an upgraded slingshot called the hyper sling, hyper slingshot later that lets you shoot three, and they kind of go in a dispersal pattern, which is pretty cool as well. Uh, but the seeds, yeah. Um, the seeds are helpful in not just what they do, but that they also provide you a way of fast traveling around the, around uh, any of these, around Holodrum or Labrina. Uh, you get these seeds called the Gale Seeds, which look like little tornadoes. Mm-hmm. And when you use one on yourself, you're able to fast travel to any of the trees that you can find. Um, and then Ember Seeds kind of just set things on fire, which are helpful for puzzles. Mystery seeds um, are are more useful in one game than another. Uh, in in ages, you're able to it, they're imperative for the final boss fight mm-hmm. um, because that's the way um, the final boss Varen uh, she a, she's able to um, possess people, and that's the only way of getting her to not possess people is to hit her with a mystery seed, and then she kind of has to. The main character. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, yeah, exactly. Um, so those are cool. Um, scent seeds attract enemies, which uh, they actually kind of end up being, I think, the most useless um, seeds in the game. But they're the ones that you can use to fight enemies more. I would say, like those are the ones I would use to waste for like the slingshot or or a seed shooter if I'm shooting somebody like a boss and it's like I need a I need a seed that I'm not gonna miss and the scent seeds usually do that and then the Pegasus seeds you are are more helpful for um, uh, more helpful for like getting somewhere quickly they, they speed you up if you've played Link's Awakening there's a item called the Pegasus boots that basically work the exact same way of you'll just go a little bit faster and if you combine them with the rocks feather you'll be able to jump a little farther um, I don't remember what happens if you actually shoot them at an enemy, if they ju- if it hurts them or if it just makes them faster. Um, I think it just hurts them. I think it just hurts them. But <laughs> I'm just game designing a little bit myself right now, hoping that that would, hoping that that would happen. Um, 
I believe. Hmm? I thought the Pegasus. Maybe I'm thinking of the Gale seeds, but I thought the Pegasus seeds, when thrown, it might have only been at certain enemies, but I thought they um, stopped them where you were going faster. And then if you threw it at them, they either slowed down or stopped completely. Mm. And I didn't know if that was... I could be wrong. I, that could but, be. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been a while since I've yeah, actually like shot a, one of those seeds. I know the Gale seeds, when you shoot them at somebody, it warps them, warps to, them to like somewhere else. Somewhere else yeah. But I, I wasn't sure if that was just because you were sped up or if... Hmm. I'm trying to remember. But um, <laughs> I remember one of the seeds, and I think it was possibly the Pegasus seeds, either slowed down or stopped them, and I believe it was Pegasus Seeds, but, um, again, mm. I don't remember, but... <laughs> well, speaking of stopping enemies, that's actually, I think, as much as I love the Switch Hook, I gotta love the Boomerang a little bit more. It's it's one of the classic Zelda items. Um, in Seasons, or in Ages, you only get the level 1 Boomerang, mm-hmm. which is helpful. It's, it's like, it's little and orange and rounded and... and nice, and you can throw it in any direction you want. Um, but in Seasons, uh, it's near, it's closer to the end, but you get the level 2 magic boomerang, which you can move while you've already thrown it. Like, mm-hmm. you can you can throw it and decide, ah, I want it to go this way, and you can arc it a little bit. And it becomes, it just becomes one of the coolest items ever. Uh, and it goes farther, and it just, it makes you feel like a complete and total badass. And I think it actually kills some lower-level enemies. I, I know the boomerang always can kill, like, the um, flashy enemies. I, I forgot what they're called that, like, bounce around dungeons. But um, but the level 2, I think, actually kills kills some creatures like Octoroks or something like that, where, where it, can, it can become, like, an actual weapon instead of just a way of stunning somebody to let you get away. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can also use it, um, if I remember correctly, to... Acquire items out of reach, um, which I thought was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And for and for certain dungeons, you can use it to hit switches. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have that extra arc on it, you can like, go all the way around something to, to hit a switch. And that, it's just pretty cool. Um, let's see. Let's move on to um, a, a character that was actually supposed to be in this game, in these games a lot more, or at least one game a lot more but ended up just being kind of this side character, and that's Maple. Poor Maple. <laughs> yeah, she actually, she started as this as this character that was really going to help Link out a lot more. She was going to kind of be this rival friend that you would have who would help you out during the story. But she kind of just turned into this side item of every once in a while, kind of this random encounter whenever you go to a new screen. If you see that there aren't any enemies there, and they're supposed to be enemies, you'll kind of get this knowing idea of, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> and then this little shadow will go across the screen a couple times, and then Maple will show up. And she begins on a broom, and she if you bump into her, items will fly everywhere. Some of your items and some of her items. Uh, and some of them are like seeds and rupees and hearts. But then there are a couple of bigger items, uh, magical rings, and we'll get into the ring system a little bit in, in a second. And then, um, and then sometimes it's a red potion mm-hmm. um, that will. The red potion is super helpful, and that's an item that will re, refill your entire health automatically if you were to die. Um, so you always want to make sure you have one of those on hand because they're really helpful for for boss fights. Anyway, so then it's just a race of you and Maple trying to grab as many items as you can, 
and she'll say a different thing whether she gets more items than you or, or whether you get more items than her. Well, um, she also serves the purpose in some of the side stories. Like, um, she'll actually trade, if you have it on your person, mm-hmm. she'll trade some things for you so you can progress some side stories like long, long egg. She'll mm-hmm. trade that for things like doll or something. Um, yeah, I believe that's the um, case. So, yeah, she she could have done to have a little bit more of a story and maybe a little bit more of a connection to, to Link, but... At least she serves a purpose. Yeah, she she serves she serves a little purpose. She has that trading mini game part, but then she also is is just kind of a fun extra character and and always a welcome welcome thing. Whenever I see that shadow, I go, "Oh, sweet, it's Maple. Hopefully, I'll get another magical ring." Um, but but she's pretty cool, and she upgrades herself a little bit um, near closer to the end of the game, where instead of riding a broom, she, she rides. Flying a flying vacuum. Yeah, well, I believe, and I think she does a saucer. Does she too, get a saucer eventually? I so. Maybe I just didn't get far enough in one of the games. <laughs> um, I think I could be making it up, but <laughs> but yeah, when she gets that vacuum and then can like take multiple items at the same time, it's like oh, Maple's become a super badass right now, <laughs> and and that's pretty cool. Um, let's talk about um, the side scrolling levels that we mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, because that, those are some of my least favorite parts of the game, um, despite the Cane of Samaria making them a little more broken and easier. Uh, those side-scrolling levels, and they had them in... They kind of took them straight from Link's Awakening, because those were in there as well. But it definitely um, definitely kind of harkens back to those uh, to that Legend of Zelda 2, uh, The Adventures of Link, where that's all side-scrolling. And I hate that game because <laughs> it's a little too much RPG and super hard and doesn't feel like Zelda at all. And I had no fun and I can barely get anywhere in that game. But it, so it does have a little bad nostalgia in that fashion. But then it also reminds me of an, uh, an original Nintendo game, uh, the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is not the, not the side-scrolling brawler of Turtles in Time. But uh, they made a first one that started off top-down. It actually, when, it, when I say it this way, it really does sound like Zelda. But you start out in these, top, in these top-down, really awful-looking pixelated city places. And then you get down into a sewer. And when you're in the sewer, it goes to this side-scrolling thing. And that game was hard as hell. And wasn't a whole lot of fun. But it was one of the only original Nintendo games I had. So I played the shit out of it. <laughs> and it, it just feels so much like these Zelda games when you're when you're down in these dungeon parts where you go down into like the a sewer portion or like a underwater swimming portion and it just it brings back really bad memories so I I really don't like those sections at all um so um let's see what else can we talk about oh we talked about magical rings mm-hmm. um the magical ring system I thought was was pretty cool in that um like some of these, uh, when you when you were able to get these rings, uh, you wouldn't know what they do. So it kind of had a almost Diablo sense of oh, you got you got something. You it could be anything, and you have to wait to get it appraised. And you go to this ring shop and meet. Um, God, I forgot his name. It's like Vashu. Or, yeah, Vashu. I, I always want to say Vishnu. It's like I, I don't <laughs> I think mean, he, he does have a little. <laughs> it's true. He does have a little turban, but he's of course, of course. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, he doesn't destroy you. He, he just appraises your rings and buys the ones that you already have. Um, but the ring system was cool because each ring has its own little extra ability on it. Some are just for decoration. Some are for fun. Um, but some of them are actually really helpful. 
Uh, my favorite rings are the ones that, that are really just for show that are uh, like the Moblin ring, which can turn Link into a Moblin. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything. You can't actually use his sword or any of his abilities, but you're a Moblin, damn it. And there's an Octorok ring, and, and they kind of keep um, Link's color palette, but you'll just be a Moblin or an Octorok and, and just walking around like that. And I just, that, it felt cool. It was just a little little extra bonus there. Well, of course, the D&D nerd in me comes out here, but... Um, a lot of the rings are really helpful in advancing some of the weapons, like the um, armor rings and power rings and everything. That's kind of a, I guess, like a, a role-playing aspect of it where you can uh, choose to keep or choose to use certain rings for whatever purpose you're trying to do. Yeah. And I really like the rings. They're probably one of my favorite parts. So, And, of course, there's the Maple's ring. If you really like Maple, you can increase your ability to run into her and steal her things yeah uh my favorite rings are the ones that help me with some of the terrible puzzle parts because i'm i'm really bad with with puzzles and and a lot of the classic zelda mechanics so something like the the rocks ring Mm -hmm. where no longer do cracked floors turn into bottomless pits Mm -hmm. when you're standing on them that one is so helpful and i use that one all the time in fact I, i think that's my default ring just because I'm so bad at those parts that if there's a way that I can get through that part easier, that's great. Or the peace ring is also one of my favorite ones mm-hmm. where you can hold a bomb and the fuse won't, uh, won't ever go Explode off. Explode over your head. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that happens sometimes when, I, when I'm just not really paying attention and I'm not good. Because, uh, again, I'm not good at Zelda games. <laughs> so to have, to have a, a way of somewhat handicapping myself or or helping my handicap is is pretty helpful. Um, There are some of those rings. You kind of talked about D&D with some of the power upgrades. Uh, Those are the best rings you can find are the power and armor rings, Uh, but those take a lot of effort to get. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can get kind of slightly downgraded versions. Uh, I think there's one, is it called the Rage Ring or is it just something that kind of works like, like a Rage idea does where it ups your attack a lot, but it also downs your defense. Mm -hmm. So it it makes you into that glass cannon. And then there's also the opposite of upgrading your armor but decreasing your attack. Um, And it makes it feel a little bit more like an RPG. Zelda's always kind of had RPG elements, but it's never really had much of a leveling system outside of Zelda 2, I'm pretty sure. Which, again, I don't really like. Um, (laughs) But having, having just those items that slightly change whatever stats you have that you'll never that you never actually see but stats there's there's still stats there's still numbers going on make that make just that little extra rpg thing where it feels like you're upgrading the character to get that oh well now i now i've upgraded my attack i don't know what my attack was before but now i can kill a moblin in one shot instead mm-hmm. of two so that makes some sort of difference and you're not forced to pick you know whatever kind of modification you can acquire other rings. It's a conditional status change that you can utilize depending on what you need it, which I really like because I, I really like to have options. <laughs> and so, um, uh, again, with the magical items, too, I mean, you get, um, you, luckily in these games, aren't always forced to use a sword. You can, you can, I actually, the first time I played through, I tried to do, um, ages with boomerang <laughs> and just try to do that and see if I could do it. It was very difficult. Probably would never <laughs> do it again. I'm but, sure it was. Um, sometimes it's just try. It's they give you that option in these games where you can 
um, try and play the games in a traditional and non-traditional sense. So, I like that about them. Certainly. All right, well, let's let's discuss um, where these specific games rank in in terms of all Zelda games. Uh, I I mean, it's it's incredibly arbitrary to do this, but it's kind of fun to to debate over what's the best Zelda game or, or those kind of things. Um, since you are the guest, I'll allow you to go first. Where do what do you? I, you've already kind of made it clear that you like ages a little better than seasons, and I like seasons a little better than ages. But um, taking them as a single grouping, um, as most people do, uh, where would you rank those two games in in all other Zelda games? I, I'm in terms of the portable system. I think they're the best because they there's something for everyone. Like I said, with ages, if you're more into the puzzle aspect, or you know, um, I guess possibly a richer backstory and more side side quests and things like that that you can do. Um, there's ages for you. It's um, slightly more complicated, not as much um, focus on the actual mechanics of fighting enemies and mini-bosses. And then you have seasons where you can um, really kind of hack and slash and do whatever you want to do um, in terms of that, and you don't have to feel so bogged down with a story that you are kind of tied into unless you just want to. But um, as a group, I would say they're top three or so. I'm I'm a huge Majora's Mask fan. I've heard that most people really probably because of the time constraints of the game don't really enjoy that one as much, but I really love that game, and even if, though it's not portable, unfortunately, I wish they would make one that's portable. Well, um, they, they just might. I mean, after after making Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time for 3DS, uh, it, it seems like they have the technology to do it, and that one sold well enough that even though we haven't heard anything yet, E3 is always coming up, so mm-hmm. uh, we'll we'll see if if Nintendo says something about that. But yeah, I would say top top three. You know, of course, uh, Ocarina of Time is up there with Majora's Mask mm-hmm. as well. But um, in terms of portable Zelda games, I would say it's probably my favorite. Um, I love that they bring back characters from other games like the Zords and the Gorons, um, so you feel connected to those games on the consoles without having to be constrained to a console to play them and play that story aspect um, with them and everything. So, yeah, um, I really like them. Um, like I said, they serve two separate purposes, but still tie together with the story, and most of the mechanics are exactly the same and everything. So. Well, because I'm such a non-traditional Zelda fan in that I'm, again, it's going to sound like a broken record, but being so terrible at them and not finishing a lot of them, there are some that I haven't even started or even played. So I've never even played Majora's Mask, uh, so I can't talk to how how good it is. I, I know that it's a polarizing game, but one that either a lot of people really like if they probably gave it a chance, or the ones who didn't give it a chance that I'd, I'd just prefer Ocarina of Time. Um, I've, I own Ocarina of Time on two different systems, and have barely gotten through any of it on either time. Um, I, know how to, I know how to do that first castle maze to get to Zelda. I know how to do that really quickly, because I've just done it so many times of me starting over. Um, so I haven't really gotten the enjoyment out of Ocarina of Time that a lot of other people have, so I can't really call that one my favorite. Um, I, I do enjoy the top-down Zeldas a little bit more than the, than the 3D ones, so most, of most of my favorite ones are in the more classic time periods. So, uh, I think these two actually, uh, compare quite favorably to most of them. They're, they're up there and maybe top two, maybe even the top, 
Uh, I do. I'm playing through Link's Awakening right now, and I've been really enjoying it. And I can see it's really cool to see like all the inspiration they took from Link's Awakening to make these these two um, or seasons and ages. Um, and they did make slight improvements on on that Awakening formula, so they might beat out Awakening. Um, but then the original original Legend of Zelda, I always find to be really enjoyable, and um, I think that's, that's actually kind of it. Like I, I've played some of other, I've played some of the other flagship Zelda games. They uh, they also made Four Swords, uh, and they also made Minish Cap um, for for Game Boy Advance. And while both of those games are are interesting, I don't think either of them are are nearly as good as um, the Oracle series. Just because they they do kind of upgrade, they upgrade the graphics to a point where it doesn't really feel as much like Zelda, um, and I, I just don't like the way the characters look, and um, I feel like they they get away from the really cool pieces of equipment. Because uh, in Minish Cap you get like this, um, I mean Minish Cap will probably get its own podcast eventually, but you get like this pot that can shoot wind, and it's it's interesting, but it doesn't feel like a real Zelda item at that point. And I just, I... I remember playing that game and missing the Oracle series. So they're actually probably probably up there as, as one or two. Uh, Link to the Past is also, it, it's it's got to be up there as well. And I'm sure that's a lot of people's favorites uh, if they prefer that top-down over, over the 3D Zelda. But um, I haven't beaten a Link to the Past, and I've beaten Seasons, so Seasons probably, probably edges it out. Um, so... That was Zelda games, but in terms of all Game Boy Color games, uh, where do you where do you think these games rank? They came at the end of end of the um, console's life life cycle. Game Boy Advance was coming up real quick. In fact, they actually tried to add a couple of features um, to these games. They thought about just holding them back and making them Game Boy Advance games, but because they had so much work put into them at the point, flagships like oh, let's just. Let's get them out there, and because we have a little extra time, let's throw in some some like extra little feature. And mm-hmm. the only thing they have is is this extra shop um, where you can buy really expensive items, uh, or this you can also buy this little ring that when you get it appraised, it's the Game Boy Advance ring, which just means you have a Game Boy Advance that you're playing it on, and that's all it does. Yeah, congratulations. I, um, I again could be wrong. I didn't ever have a Game Boy Advance. Well, I did in high school. I was poor, <laughs> so I didn't get them. I had a Game Boy Color for a very, very long time. But I think, um, if I remember correctly, did the some of the Game Boy Advance rings, um, did they serve a purpose? Like, did they preserve any kind of parts, or did they... Nope. nope. It was just the, it was just the one ring saying, "Hey, you're you're playing this game on a Game Boy Advance, and we can tell. <laughs> cool, right? Here here's a ring to to commemorate that. That's <laughs> it, and it does nothing. But oh. it is it is kind of a cool nod. But uh, you could tell that that was something that was just more of an afterthought than anything. But <laughs> talking about Game Boy Color games, I don't know how many other Game Boy Color games you had or played or really enjoyed. But do you have any idea where these rank for you in, in terms of Game Boy Color games? Well, I mean, they were sort of the last hurrah for the Game Boy Color. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was... And luckily, they were great. So, I mean, at least it went out with a bang, and 
the bang wasn't the bomb exploding <laughs> over your head. It was you throwing it. You know, it was a successful way to end the in the era of colored handheld gaming as it's first coming out. And um, I actually played uh, Metal Gear Solid a lot on Game Boys. So um, those those are probably my favorite games. Um, not that I don't love Zelda, of course, <laughs> but um, just for the way it was introduced when it was introduced for the people that grew up, you know, playing on the Game Boy Color, leaned against the window mm. in the car, using the streetlights to play it. I mean, that's such a... That's a good way to go out because you're connected to those characters and, um, you know, every pretty much everybody's played a Zelda game. Mm-hmm. So to end with Zelda in its legacy is such a... I think that that makes it that makes it memorable for, if for no other reason than it's a Zelda game. But yeah, I would say that they probably rank uh, pretty high for me. I also, um, you know, I played Tilt and Tumble Kirby and everything like that game. on Game Boy Color, um, which I thought was I loved that game so much. I loved the um, the kind of premonition of accelerometer use mm-hmm. and everything in game gaming. I mean. The Wii is probably the pinnacle of that, but, um, so, the, I mean, yeah, there's other good games, but that's, that is the last game that also holds on to tradition, kind of, of true, I don't want to say true gaming, but, you know, <laughs> legacy gaming. No, I, I can, I can understand where you're coming from. Uh, for me, really, the only thing that I think eclipses these two games, uh, and it's it's really not fair, it's it's Pokemon Gold and Silver. Well, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah and, and those, Pokemon will definitely get its own show at some point, uh, and probably multiple shows. I haven't figured out how I'm going to work with Pokemon yet, but it's it's definitely going to get talked about a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I do really love these games, and they're some of the best games that Game Boy Color has to offer, if not the best. Definitely some of the prettiest games on the on the system, uh, as they really did. They really were able to kind of push that in terms of color palette and and design. Even though it looks a lot like Link's Awakening, and a lot of those sprites are actually just taken straight from that. Link's Awakening was a pretty game too, so it's it's hard to it's hard to argue with the with the gorgeousness of these games. Um, I think we have talked enough, so, Caitlin, if, is there anything you'd like to plug, like, a Twitter or something, where can the internet find you, anything you want to say? Um, I am on Twitter, actually, it's probably just easier if you check Chase's Twitter, um, <laughs> and search me, but my name is Caitlin, um, <coughs> and I'm having a coffee session right now, um, my Twitter name is actually E-C-A-W-A-R-D, so some of my initials are all kind of crammed together. Um, I don't really tweet. It's a public Twitter, so you can follow me if you would like. I don't tweet a lot about gaming as much, but I do play games. I just do it very quietly. So, um, you can follow me for my cat antics. I'm also a Redditor, so sometimes I post about Reddit things. So, um, sometimes our gaming stuff. If anybody's ever read our gaming, um, not my favorite subreddit on Reddit, (laughs) but, um, there's also a lot of, um, Gaming subreddits on Reddit that I frequent a lot. So I'm also on Reddit, same username. Uh, try not to creep me too much because I post in a lot of other Reddits, uh, subreddits. <laughs> so anyway, um, I'm on Twitter and Reddit. And um, if you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can. Um, if you want to tell me how horrible I did today, I won't be <laughs> offended. I'm not really used to doing podcasts anymore. But yeah, I'm on the internet. I'm around. I tweet about things sometimes. <laughs> so um, 
But yeah, that's pretty much it. I guess I just plugged myself. But. I think you did a great job. <laughs> uh, I'm at Chase underscore Kenneke, K-O-E-N-E-K-E on Twitter. Uh, you can follow the show at G-O-T-G podcast. Um, we'll put the ad symbol in front of it, of course. You can email into the show, uh, G-O-T-G podcast at gmail.com. And now we have uh, Facebook as well, facebook.com slash G-O-T-G podcast. I was able to get that name for everything. <laughs> uh, so that, that went pretty well. Also, we have a trivia question here at the end here. I have two codes for the game Magicka uh, for for Windows machines, and I have a Mac, so it is completely useless to me. But my loss is your gain. We uh, we didn't mention the Zelda timeline in the uh, in the show, but this makes for a perfect trivia question. Then, where do the Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages games? I'll give you a hint. They are both together since you can play the games in any order. Mm-hmm. Just don't even worry about which one goes first. Uh, where do these games uh, take place in the Zelda timeline? Which game comes before it, and which game comes directly after it? If you can tweet to either me or the podcast, I, let's keep it on Twitter. Um, if you can tweet to me or the podcast, giving me the, the names of the games, I will uh, make sure that you get your codes. I have two codes, so the first two who get it right will will get them. And other than that, I can't think of a single thing. Caitlin, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, I'm not sure what the next episode will be, but I'll make sure to tweet it out before uh, before we do it so anybody can send in their thoughts. Uh, nobody sent in their thoughts for, for the Oracle game, sadly. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they're just maybe too big of games and they hadn't played them for a while, and we'll, we'll give them a pie on this one. But uh, <laughs> next time, guys, whatever the game is, I expect some, uh, I expect a couple comments. Anyway... Thanks again, Caitlin, and I'll see you all soon.